Hello, welcome to Mule Mountain Messages, sermons from the pulpit of the Community Church of Warren in historic Bisbee, Arizona. Today we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 38, where we discuss Judah and Tamar, and we talk about what in the world is this chapter doing here in the middle of a narrative about Joseph. just seems so out of place, but God always has a purpose and a plan. We're going to discuss that today. If you don't have a church home, we would love to have you come and visit with us at the Community Church of Warren. We are at 201 Arizona Street in the Warren District of Bisbee, Arizona. Come and check us out and hopefully join our family. God bless and take care. Well, when I read this, I, 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 I had to laugh. I don't know, it just kind of reminds me of me and Dora for some reason, okay? It says there's a story about a man who was short and chubby. He was also bald and middle-aged. One morning, he and his wife were walking down the street when suddenly the man turned a beaming countenance to his wife and said, Did you see that pretty girl smile at me? And she said, oh, that's nothing. The first time I saw you, I laughed out loud. (laughs) Anyway. You know, have you guys ever been reading a book or watching a movie or, uh, and you're in and you're getting into it and then there's a scene that comes in or the, the author describes something that just seems out of place. You know, it's like, Wow, why is that there? Now, now in a good book or whatever, you know, it comes together later. But, you know, you're like, man, I wonder why that was there. We're kind of left scratching our head. And so in our uh, story here in, in Genesis, we've been uh, talking a lot about Joseph. And we've kind of had that transition from Joseph, uh, Jacob or Israel to Joseph in the narrative. And, and yet... After 37, we get to chapter 38, and now all of a sudden it stops talking about Joseph, and it's talking about Judah and Tamar. And it just seems like it's just so out of place. It's kind of like we uh, interrupt this regularly scheduled narrative of Joseph to talk about Judah and Tamar. Um, Yet God has it there for a reason. He put it there for a purpose. So let's kind of recap. I didn't read the whole scripture uh, in the reading time, but um, I want to recap this chapter 38 and just kind of go over the story. So if we remember the last time we had Joseph, he uh, went out to visit his brothers at the behest of his father, find out what's going on. They see him coming. They see that he's all alone and they're like, Hey, we're going to kill him. All right, because this guy's been a he's been a pain and he's, you know, he's he's talking about how we're going to worship or bow down to him, not worship him, but bow down to him. And so they got there and they grabbed him, they tore off his coat that, that his dad had given him and they threw him in a, a dry cistern. All right? And uh, so Reuben, the older brother, said, well, you know, let's don't quite kill him. Let's just leave him here and he'll die on his own. And that way we don't have blood on our hands. And so his plan was to come back and rescue him. He apparently goes out somewhere 
And the brothers are talking and they see a caravan. <coughs> caravan coming. And they're like, hey, wait a minute. Instead of killing him, why don't we just sell him as a slave to these uh, people coming? And uh, that way we can get rid of him. We get rid of all the evidence. There's no bloody, uh, you know, nothing to clean up. No, nothing there. And by the way, we'll get a little bit of money in our pocket, right? And that was Judah. Judah was the one that recommended selling him to the slaves. So they sold him to the slaves. They took his coat. They killed a, a baby goat. They put blood all over it. And they went to their dad and said, hey, isn't this your son? They didn't even say my our brother. Isn't this belong to your son? And and of course that uh, that devastated Jacob and sent him in a tailspin and it said that in here that nobody could comfort him. And so, you know, that just talked, it just really gave an indication how cruel uh, those brothers and those sons were and so now we kind of interrupt that narrative. Joseph is working his way in the slave caravan. And we're talking about Judah and Tamar. Now Judah was the one, again, who recommended that he be sold to the slaves. And so when Judah, when they all got back, Judah, for whatever reason, left the home. Uh, went away and he found he hooked up with this fellow named Hira and he saw this young lady this Canaanite woman and he, hey wow you know woo, you know let's get married you know and so you know and there's no uh, you know no consulting with his dad or anything just he got married got her pregnant had three kids by her and he's just living this life uh, certainly not pleasing to God and and just kind of away from his family now he probably is with in the dealings of his family but he's not associating with his family so time goes on and uh, we're talking probably there's 22 years what they estimate between the time that joseph was sold to the caravan and by in the time when his brothers go down you know we'll talk about later they go down and they meet up again so this is in that intervening period obviously so his first son Ur or heir whatever it is uh, is old enough to be arranged to be married so he finds a young woman named Tamar and uh, he arranges the marriage but the son it says here he was really wicked he was wicked in the Lord's sight so the Lord took his life. So either right before they were to be in betrothed, right before they'd be married, or right after they got married, then uh, God took this young man's life. I mean, how bad do you have to be for God to say, "Get out of here"? You know, I mean, and so uh, He took his life. So now, according to custom, is the brother would then marry the wife and give her an heir in the name of his brother but um, the second son Onan he was like I don't want to have anything to do with it so he purposely avoided getting her pregnant and uh, and he was very rebellious and guess what God ended up taking his life as well and 
Judah was like, well, I'm not about to give my third son to this because he's blaming Tamar, even though it's the son's fault. Okay, and so he pushes Tamar. He says, well, look, okay, uh, the third son, he's not old enough yet. So you just go back to your dad's house. And when he gets old enough, we'll arrange the marriage, right? Well, Judah said that probably without any intention of fulfilling that agreement. He was probably hoping that it would just go away. You know, how many of us do that, right? How many of us get in a situation and put off doing anything about it because we just hope it goes away? I think men are more prone to do that than, than women are, to be honest with you. But so, uh, so she went back, and so years later, um, Judah's wife died. And um, after this time of mourning was over, it's kind of shearing time. It's kind of a festive time. So Judah and his friend, they're going to go into this town. They're going to party a little bit and, and after the shearing of sheep. Well, Tamar hears about this. She hasn't forgotten. Even though she's more or less been forgotten, she hasn't forgotten about uh, Judah's promise. And you got to remember, for a young lady in this time, you know, her future is really uh, a successful future to be provided for is to to have a husband and then to have sons that could care for her in her old age. And now she's looking at 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 not getting any of that. And I'm sure her dad is probably not, you know, happy having her around and whatever. And so she gets desperate she hears about what's going on and so she sets a plot in motion and so when Judah was going into this town she Tamar dresses up like a temple prostitute and so she entices Judah who is now not married and and whatever and and uh, maybe had a few drinks along the way or whatever and so it's like okay so he he goes and he has relations with Tamar. And then she's smart enough to say, hey, you know, leave me your staff and your cloak, kind of collateral here. Because he says, I'm going to send you a goat, you know, and, and uh, for payment. And uh, so after all this is done, she takes off. She takes off the costume of the prostitute, goes back. He tries to send the goat via his friend, Hymar or whatever, and uh, he says, hey, I can't find her. She's nowhere to be found, and 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 Judah's like, hey, okay, I, yeah, I don't have to worry about it anymore. I got me a, you know, I get to keep my goat. And so he, uh, uh, then later he hears that, hey, you know what? Your daughter-in-law, Tamar, is pregnant. Tamar gets pregnant. And now he gets mad. Well, that little hussy, you know, I mean, how dare she? You know, I, I'm sure uh, just because I've ignored her all these years and everything, you know. And so he gets all indignant. He gets mad. He wants to go and uh, and and basically kill her. So he goes to face her and she he goes to carry out this sentence about uh, let her be burned. But as they were taking, out, taking her out to kill her, she sent this message to Judah. The man who owns these things is the one who made me pregnant. 
Look closely. Whose seal and cord and walking stick are these? And then Judah recognized them immediately and said, you know what? She's actually more righteous than I am because I didn't arrange for her to marry my son, Sheila. And Judah never slept with Tamar again. So she gives birth to twins. And it's kind of a kind of a redo of, of when uh, Jacob and Isaac and Esau were born. It says, when the time came for Tamar to give birth, it was discovered that she was carrying twins. While she was in labor, one of the babies reached out his hand and the midwife grabbed it, tied a scarlet string around the child's wrist, announcing, hey, this is the one that came out first. But then he pulled his hand back in and out came his brother. What? The midwife exclaimed. How did you break out first? So he, he was named Perez and the baby with the scarlet string on his wrist was born and he was named Zira. Okay, so that's really the last that we kind of hear of this, except that Tamar is in the genealogy of Jesus. And Jesus came through the line of Judah. Okay? And so we have to, we look at this story and says, okay, so what is it, what is it that we can learn from this? What is it that we can um take away from this well when we look at this we look at and see that sometimes godly people or people that are supposed to be godly they don't act very godly right now you think of judah judah was a man who uh knew about the one true god he knew and was there when his dad worshiped and built altars and worshiped the one true god but and so he knew all of this stuff, but he kind of turned his back on it. And he went his own way. He went, he went out, went away from his family. He married this Canaanite woman. And if you kind of look into it or read between the lines what some of these commentators uh, do is they feel like she was a Canaanite woman. She never renounced her pagan beliefs. She passed them on to her children. And Judah didn't have any, you know, it was a really just something he... Uh, it was an impulsive marriage that I'm sure he probably regretted. And you could kind of see that because of the wickedness of her sons, their sons. They totally rejected the faith of their father, who wasn't living out much of a faith. So sometimes godly people do not act in godly ways. You know, he treated in... in, in in addition to how he raised his sons, at least the first two, the third one kind of got the picture, I think, after his two brothers got wiped out. You know, he, he wasn't, uh, you know, he may not have been named Swifty, but he wasn't, you know, he figured it out. He says he got the point, and, and it says that he later became the, the patriarch of the Shelanites, okay? But Judah also treated his daughter-in-law poorly okay she was entitled to be married to this son or at least in some wise be taken care of and he didn't and in fact she was so desperate for justice 
that she took these drastic measures. And he realized that she acted more righteously than he did. So as believers, you know, Colossians 1.10 says, are we living a life that fully pleases God? You know, we have to examine her. We need to live a life that will fully please God. And we need to also understand that as believers, if we step outside the will of God, there's going to be consequences. There's going to be consequences. Well, the other thing we can look in this here is we can see that there's a real log in your eye. You know, when Judah accuses Tamar of harlotry and all these things, and he's ready to burn her, yet he's the one who got her pregnant, and he realized all the things that he had done. You know, sometimes we have to reflect upon our own lives before we cast stones at other people. Well, this chapter also gives us a glimpse of the home situation, if you will, back in Canaan while Joseph was away. This was a very dysfunctional family. All right, they, they were uh, in rough shape. And honestly, aside from Jacob, it doesn't seem like any of them were following or seeking after God. But think about this. When you look at this chapter... And then in a few weeks or months or hopefully not years, you know, when we look at what Joseph did with his family, when he rescued his family, when he said those famous words, you know, you guys meant this for evil, but God meant this for good. Look at the grace that Joseph gave his family, even though there was in no way, shape or form any way that they deserve this. I mean, if you think about it, Joseph probably would have been within his rights to not help his family. Or when they came down to imprison his brothers or to, to uh, kill his brothers, because after all, that's what they tried to do to him. But he didn't do that. He exhibited grace and forgiveness towards them, even though they didn't deserve it. And when we look at that, we realize that that mirrors the grace and forgiveness that we are given through Jesus Christ. And I think that's really the main point of this passage. That God's grace is greater than our sin. I got news for you. We're all messed up in some way. Maybe not as messed up as this family, but we were all we're we're messed up in some way. And yet God's grace is so amazing that he forgives us. And God's grace was so amazing that he chose Judah to be the line through which the Messiah would come. And like I said previously, Tamar is in 
Jesus' genealogy. And that just goes to show how much God loves us. How much God wants a relationship with us. And so, even though it looks like it's out of place, there's a very big place for chapter 38. And it's to show how much God loves us. And how God uses broken vessels for his glory and his honor. Amen? Let's pray. You and do, do indeed use those that are less than perfect to accomplish your will. Because, Father, we can do no things on our own. And the more we realize, the, the quicker we realize we can't do it on our own, that we need to hold on to you, then the quicker it is that we'll have victory and joy and peace and fruit in this life, Lord God. So, Father, I pray you help us to see that. Help us to realize that, Lord, and help us to live our lives for you in an uncompromising, bold, and mighty way. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord Jesus Christ, fill us with your Spirit and send us out with confidence in your Word to tell the world of your saving acts and bring glory to your name, in which we pray, amen. Let us go forth in the world rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. Thanks be to God.